So what I'll do later, Chinch, is I'll I'll, I'll read it mm-hmm. and and you can co- comment upon its veracity. If you want to look at me, at certain, you think there's certain points I need to say something. Yeah. I'll you chat away and then leave a bit of a pause no, and I can so step in. So it'll be a soccer story. Oh, is this at the, you're going to do this at the... Uh, yeah, so we'll do it at the end. I'll do the okay. soccer story and I'll, I'll, I'll be the the play-by-play guy and you can do your co-coms on your own soccer story. His oh, colour, right. the colour. You'll provide okay. the colour. Right. 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 The, yeah, the, I can put uh, flesh on the bones. Yeah, because it's, it's worded in such a way that um, I feel oh, like so you, need to, you need to contribute. No, you're doing it later in the... Right. Ch- Chinch, you know the thing that is in your right hand? It's, it's not a wand. It's not no, a, po- a pointy thing. Me. It's, I uh, it's a microphone. I know, but can the people hear you? I didn't realise we were on. I just thought this is this is production meeting. Does, do, do, m- genuinely, pretty much every episode has no, a, a section a where Chinch says, are we on? No, but this is a production meeting. We're, 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 we're deciding on what we're doing, then we start the banter. He's being, he's being ill-disciplined deliberately now. I'm not at all. That's not me. I don't do that. I'm a team player. This is Set Piece Money, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. Joining me, Hugh Ferris, are Rory Smith, bad back, Stephen Wyeth, bad ankle, and Andy Hinchcliffe, bad back and bad ankle, Bad knee, bad Achilles, bad knee, bad finger, bad right foot. Um, bad attitude. <laughs> bad attitude. The, the, the room, which is um, Rory's kitchen Thank slash you, dining area, uh, has been filled with much. the smell of hot coffee and bacon. Um, so for that, Rory, in advance of the bacon sandwiches that will arrive shortly. Thank you very much indeed. Hot burning pig. <laughs> Lovely. You can get in touch with the podcast at Set Piece Menu on Twitter. You can get a Set Piece Menu at gmail.com if you'd like to send an email. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. Um, now, we start the correspondence today with us reaching out to you because Stephen, and this is when the pre production meeting actually happens, Chinch, mm. which, which is before the broadcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stephen had an idea. I did have an idea. It was inspired by a Twitter conversation with some colleagues, and I just thought this would be perfect for set piece menu. It actually was um, a BT Sport colleague of mine, Adam Summerton, who paid reference to the fact that he had shown his daughters, who are both keen young footballers, the famous Marco van Basten goal from Euro 88, 88 mm-hmm. against the, the Soviet against the Union. USSR. That stupendous volley from a very, very tight angle. And he enjoyed immensely the joy, the glee in their faces at seeing for the first time something that we are incredibly familiar with as being one of the great goals of all time. And I said, what a great piece of content it would be to (laughs) consider... Pulling back the curtain considerably here. (laughs) (laughs) What a great piece of content it would be to consider which goal you would like erased from your mind so that you could experience it again for the first time. Um, Maradona's goal against England the first one or the second one the second one <laughs> clearly the second one I mentioned as part of this Twitter conversation both Yeboas off the underside of the crossbar uh, Gaza against Scotland, Scotland at yeah. Wembley because that was the one that the really the, the anticipation that something was about to happen was tremendous Rory Matias Almeida for Lazio against Palmer that's not the most random one. There was a couple of Italian ones that came up, including George Weyer against oh. Verona. Oh, the big, the big dribble. Yeah, yeah. John Barnes, was it the Maracanã? Yep. Lots of ideas. Um, I think the Zidane one against Leverkusen in the Champions League final. Yeah. One of those kind of genuine ones where you stand up and go, what? So basically, sort us out on social media with the goal that you would like a raise from... But what's that film? Um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? What, what would you have... 
removed from your mind so that to you experience, could experience yeah. it all over again nice. let us know send us the youtube send send us to them on youtube brilliant perfect we'll we'll have a look at them and we'll we'll pull them together the film 2012 <laughs> What, so you could watch it again for the first time? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great to erase my career so people could experience it all uh, over again and say, enjoy it? I was going to say the free kick against QPR. Oh, uh, well, actually, yes. That might oh, have been against Brentford. Everton fans definitely will, will, will have that erased. <laughs> um, in other news, thank you very much indeed. Yes, setpiecemenu at gmail.com or at setpiecemenu on Twitter. Thank you very much indeed. Get that conversation going. We'll keep it going over Christmas uh, for the next month or so. Maybe uh, 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 get some sort of top 10, potentially, at the uh, end of the festive period. Um, in other news then, Sam Hart emailed a previous to last week's pod but there is contemporaneous relevance nonetheless and he starts with this Hugh asterisk I only lead with Hugh as I came across him in the kitchen once when working in BBC Sport and he was bloody lovely uh, Steve Rory and Chinch in a variation on the theme raised in pod number 152 about potentially misguided preconceptions of managers do you think that there is room for a discussion on how perceptions are altered by a manager's playing history so this is one when we um uh, admitted to uh, having perhaps mis-evaluated some managers. It's a fairly redundant argument for most of us. Ultimately, some elite players make great managers. See Cruyff, Guardiola, Ancelotti, Conte, uh, Lampard. Um, some elite managers, though, come from either average, failed, or non-players. See Klopp, Van Gaal, Wenger, Mourinho, Sarri, and vice versa. There's a lot of interesting variables to this, but do you feel that when being newly appointed, a manager's playing history and standing the game has as much potential bearing on team performance as some fans, pundits and sections of the media would have us believe, particularly if they're English? Here's looking at you, Paul. Give it Gary Rowlett Merson. And does this also <laughs> sometimes contribute to predefined conceptions about a manager's style or success rate that turn out to be wrong? Cheers, says Sam. Do we, do we view... Do we view coaches differently if they've played or they haven't? Do we? Do you see them as something of a, not a fraud, but if they haven't played the game, does it, in fans' minds, does that, does that make a huge amount of difference? Or does it to more, more likely matter to those who they are trying to tell Poss- on a daily basis to play- do stuff? The players, you mean? Yes. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, I only worked under former players. But they weren't so always great. I mean, what was Paul Jules playing career? Did he have one? I presume he did. Did he have a successful manager career? probably fairly well respected by his coaching career. Mm. But would you you have been conscious of, say, Bid Ron's playing career? That's a good point. No, You wouldn't have known anything about it? He was just... Bid Ron. Big Ron, yeah. And even, I mean, you wouldn't have watched Kendall play? No, absolutely not, no. Again, yeah, never even crossed my mind, but again, you had a level of respect for them. Yes, level of standing. So I would say that with most managers, it's probably difficult to judge at the elite level because there's not many cases where managers come in without any prior experience at all. So say Mourinho, who didn't have a playing career whatsoever, went into Chelsea as a European champion with Porto. So the respect is earned through yeah. through through his achievements as a manager. Lampard, I guess, is, is the... Lampard at Chelsea, Shearer at Newcastle. They definitely get a, they get a free pass early on because they are legendary players so yeah you, you do Henri sharing him at Stevenage sharing him at Stevenage we've spoken about club men before I think it's pod number 128 um, so there's there's a whole kind of thread about club men in particular not just players who were who were good players necessarily getting jobs or becoming good managers but then you, I suppose if you, yeah so if you take out if you assume that Lampard and Shearer have both got a head start to their links to that club which is probably fair enough same with Solskjaer, obviously, although he had managed at Mulder. Um, I suppose Gerard at Rangers, quite an interesting example. That would he he wouldn't have got that job if he wasn't he got that job on the back of being Stephen Gerrard, not on the back of 
his admittedly perfectly competent career as a youth coach at Liverpool. Um, it'd be interesting. To, the, thing, the, the interesting barometer with Gerard will be where his next job is. Does he's done okay at Rangers? The the ability to command respect in the dressing yeah. room is effectively the major requirement, isn't it? And yeah. if if you you can either there's several different ways you can achieve that. Having had a stellar playing career is one. Or having, you know, in the way that Mourinho has done, worked your way up yeah. as a coach, learned and demonstrated time and again your winning mentality is another. Yeah. Sam, thank you for your email. Nathan Curry has written to say this. Hi, folks. Listening to your recent pod about the changing responsibilities of referees, this was um, 153, I think. Uh, you briefly I love the touched. Way he pretends that he's not entirely sure when <laughs> that is completely accurate. If it's not 153, yes. I haven't checked genuinely. If it's not 153, I apologise to 153. Uh, about the changing responsibilities of referees, you briefly touched on a topic that I've been thinking about lately. You talked about how decision making appears to have been taken away from the on pitch official in some cases. Whether or not that is the case is debatable, but to some people, it looks that way my question is and here it comes is this necessarily a bad thing in the age of var the on-pitch ref has a million things to look out for only has a split second to make decisions and can be influenced by players managers fans etc the var has more camera angles fewer things to worry about longer to make the decision and is unlikely to be influenced by on-field developments why shouldn't the var have the power to actively overrule the referee this fetishizing of the on-field referee is simply disturbing that's from Nathan. Yeah, but it's not about overruling. It's about assisting, giving guidance and giving them the benefit of those additional angles that they've got access to and the additional time that they've got to make the decision. But ultimately, the buck has to stop with someone. We've talked about it in all sorts of different walks of life when it comes to football and when it comes to making decisions, that person is, is the referee. It's about using using the facilities at their disposal we they've always had assistant referees there was a, a at one time and another additional assistance behind the goal now they have technology and the video assistant referee but they, they are still the person in charge it's a team of officials isn't it but ultimately it is. the book stops with the referees so everybody should play their part in getting the decision right and finally Stephen Forbes has done exactly what we asked of him and all of you he has opened a Jack Reacher novel in this case get in past tense and taken a photo and then sent it to us. It is the out-of-context Reacher feature distilled down to its very essence. And so, over to Chinch. Uh, on this passage we have, there's a bit of narration, there's obviously Reacher, and there's another character in it as well. So I'm, I'm learning all the time about doing these read-throughs, and I'm trying to develop my style. So what I'm going to try and do is make it pretty obvious who is talking. So it might be slightly exaggerated, the non-Reacher voice, but just, just bear with me. So we're going to start with Reacher. Who was the kid? The kid is a lout and a bully and a predator. <laughs> the kind who gets the best of everything, including victims and lawyers. Doesn't sound all that complicated to me. We're worried about what happens next. You think he's going to get up a posse? The problem is his father already has a posse. The local rich guy? Who is he? I paraphrased a little. He's really from Boston, but he lives in Manchester now. And what kind of posse does he have? He makes financial arrangements for clients who can't risk paper trails. In other words, he launders money for the kind of people who need money laundered. I imagine he could borrow pretty much any kind of posse he wants, and we think he will. These guys have a culture. Someone attacked his family. Got to be made an example of. This guy can't look weak, so we know sooner or later his people will show up here in town Asking around, we don't want trouble here. That's why it's complicated. Reacher poured another cup of coffee. Amos watched. 
How did you hurt your hand? <laughs> I punched the garden wall. That's an odd way to put it. Can't really blame the wall. It makes it sound deliberate. He smiled. Am I coming across as the kind of guy who would deliberately punch a wall? When did it happen? And we'll have to leave it there. We'll never know when it, when it happened. Uh, at Set Piece Menu is where we're on Twitter. Setpiecemenu at gmail.com. You can find oh. us on Facebook um, as well. Chinch is now rewarding himself with a bacon bar. See, I, I, I really wouldn't need to find out who that character was. I've just had a stab at it, made my best guess. <laughs> I, 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 probably my voice wouldn't fit the character. No, I'm not sure no. what character that would That's fit. Definitely definitely the voice Lee Child heard in his head as he was But I wanted to really differentiate between Reacher and the other person. Our subject today is also prompted by a listener email. It comes from Richard Parfit. Hi, folks. For the second time today, hi, folks. Big fan of the pod, although recently have found whenever I read a novel that the voice that I hear in my head is chinch. Get not in. sure how I feel on that front. As a Chelsea fan, I've recently found myself excited at the talent shown by our young players, a novel experience for our club that has attracted a small amount of media attention, which you may have noticed. Despite that, in conversations with other Chelsea fans, I always end up being the one trying to calm everybody down. Comparisons to the class of 92 are widespread, and there is a general belief that this is some sort of golden era. It could be true, and I hope it is. However, for all the promise that he shows, until Tammy Abraham can show consistency for a few seasons, we don't know if he is the world-class striker we've lacked since the departure of Diego Costa. Kevin Phillips, James Beattie, Danny Ings, Charlie Austin, et al. all demonstrate that you can have a good goal-scoring season or two without necessarily being good enough to win the team the title. It's possible I'm being overly pessimistic, but I've been telling fellow fans not to get too excited too early about Abraham. With that in mind, I wondered if the wise SPM hive mind had any thoughts about players who looked world-class at 20 but didn't make the grade or who we got excited about Unduly. Thanks and keep up the good work. That is from Richard. Does anybody else smell, apart from bacon, an SPM Select 11? Consider it the Christmas gift that you never thought you needed or indeed wanted, but a gift nonetheless. Why do some players fail to fulfil their potential? And do we have at least one in every position to make this task possible, or will the early potential of an unfulfilled potential 11 be also unfulfilled? Oh, it's a tricky one, though, isn't it? Because with... I mean, I think he's completely right about Abraham, and I think that, that for all that there is a lot of exciting young promise around this Chelsea team you don't know how it's going to pan out so there was a conversation that I had with Chris Sutton in one of my other broadcasting gigs not long ago about um, whether Abraham should start ahead of Kane for England and you think well of course not just Tammy Abraham has been a good Premier League striker for three months Harry Kane has been one of the best in the world for three or four years so clearly you stick with Harry Kane he's proven proven talent um, and it is it could be, that, I, I suspect it won't be, but it could be that, say, Mason Mount tailed off a little bit and ends up kind of as a re relatively reliable Premier League midfielder, maybe not for Chelsea, maybe for a club slightly lower down the food chain. You, you don't know how it's going to go. And I think until they've had a couple of years at a high level, it's, it's probably too soon to say. I think we can probably get an 11 out of it, though, to be fair. But what I was going to say was there's lots of reasons why that can happen. One is that we can overestimate how talented they are. And they might just have a, a burst of form early on and suddenly you think th this person's a world beater. Um, it can be that injury gets in the way or that uh, they make a poor transfer or, or the, some other sort of factor in their career. A new manager comes in, changes the system. Life gets in the position. way. Life gets Howard in the way, Kendall changes. keeps on selling you. Yeah. We um, all get weathered by the uh, footballing <laughs> wins. Yeah. Mm. But that, so before we consider players... What a lovely turn of phrase. Lovely. Yeah, you should, you should really should copyright think that. of only that yeah. and not actually have any ability to come up with another one. Um, the, uh, we should, yeah, before we consider specific players, let's consider why 
that these things happen. As you mentioned, uh, Roy, what happens later down the line? But perhaps backward a step. Why do we have a propensity, and is it a particularly British or English thing, to overrate or get too excited about potential when we see it come through in the late teenage years? We, we, I think we should get, if we see good players who prove themselves at youth level, we should be getting excited about the possibilities for them. But again, it's then realising if it doesn't necessarily work out, if they get a big money move and then they can't cope with the pressures of playing at another club. There's always reasons, I feel, why. Because if you're a very good player at 18, 19, 20, you're a very good player. There's reasons maybe at 25, you're the player that you are, at 30, the player that you are. I think we've done in previous pods talked about kind of mental health and everything. There's so many things that go into this. But see, there's not, I don't think there's anything better. I can understand why Chelsea fans are so excited. Seeing young players playing regularly, doing really well. Of course, you're going to be excited. You should be excited by that. Um, but again, do we, do we go overboard on, is everybody the next best thing? Do we do that still these days? I think we are a little bit more guarded about kind of the praise that we give these young players now. Do you think we're starting to understand that the pressure's on them? I wonder whether the lack of international success that England have had for so long now is a driver behind this desire, this necessity to discover the next best thing and more or less pin hopes as a, as a nation of football fans on, on the emergence of, of talented players. Yeah, so who these make, young players yeah, are going to win the World Cup. Can, yeah. and, and we see the investment that's made into you know, young players at some of the biggest clubs and we assume that that is going to, to generate a, a level of success that, that the whole nation can pin its hopes on. And it's just not, mm. not the case, is it? You know, you're talking of, you know, once in a blue moon players that are capable of effectively galvanising an entire team or leading an entire team to success, whether that's at club or international level, a bit like yourself, Chinch. Or, you or, or both for certain players. So we, we do... Like put, you. Well, we, I don't want to say me, but yeah. We do put, whether it's a uniquely British thing, I don't know, but we do put unusually high expectations on young emerging talent without considering for one moment how their development, how the change of culture at a club or how injury might... Effect are we, are we still that doing that, you think? Because obviously yeah, the talk about players' lives and mental health. Do you, do you think we are being a bit more considered in our, in our kind of praise think, for these young players these we're, days? We're, that Steve's right, that probably because there's now such a glut of young players in, in England, <coughs> that that kind of complex that England can't bring players through, I suspect it's, it, there's, now a, a, there's less urgency about yeah. saying this player is going to change the world. Look, across Europe, I think the French probably have always had an element of the quantity as such that they can, they don't have to build them up. But if you look at, I don't know, if you look at people like Mbappe, Aouara, um, Lyon, people like that, um, there is a tendency in France to do it. I think everyone gets excited by young players. The, the exception maybe is Italy, where where they don't really trust youngsters until they're, until they're in their early 30s. The, 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 <laughs> they're the, still youngsters in their early 30s. Well, my, my granddad famously was a youngster at 28, uh, described by one of the, uh, one of the local papers uh, when he moved from Loughborough Corinthians to Birmingham. Uh, described was it a team of 65-year-olds <laughs> when he came into young it? Young Bernard Smith, <laughs> 28 years old. Um, but I suppose in a, in, a, in a sort of universal sense, you are quite young at 28. The... Yeah, I think that in Italy, where they don't trust young players at the same stage, that you don't really get teenagers in Italian teams. You will get one or two every so often, but they're, they're generally regarded as being unreliable and um, strays. There was a, a real fascination with 
Moyes Keane as he is now yeah. known. Now he plays in England. When he emerged at Juventus, that someone of his age was playing first team football was just extraordinary, almost unheard yeah. of. And I, w- I wonder. I don't know enough about it, but I wonder if in Brazil and Argentina, where the kids of real promise leave basically before they've played first team football for a Brazilian or an Argentinian club, whether that has changed the excitement levels because you never really get to see them. There's a couple of kids at Velez Sarsfield at the moment who I think will end up coming to Europe who are meant to be really good. I'm not going to pretend I watch Velez Sarsfield, but you read about them a little bit. Um, and and I wonder whether that is a relatively rare case where you've got a, a couple of players who I think are 19 or 20 and are still in Argentina but are good enough to come to Europe. The vast majority of players who are in Argentina at 23 are there because they're not good enough to sign for European clubs. So that might change it. I think... The other thing we need to establish is what is our barometer. So when Hugh suggested this subject, one of the first names that came to mind for me was Mario Goetze, who was German wonder kid, sort of the leader of the, the sort of spiritual leader of Borussia Dortmund, goes to Bayern Munich as their, their their kind of great coup, having won the World Cup for Germany, having scored the having winning scored goal, the winning goal in a World Cup. Mm-hmm. But has Mario Goetze fulfilled his promise? Illness but was a big factor. Illness was that, a big yeah, yeah. and as, as we say, there are lots of factors. Yeah. But is is Goetze has Goetze underperformed what he might be, or does he, is his career actually a massive success, given that he's played for Dortmund, Bayern, and scored the winning goal in a World Cup? But all these players are probably going to talk about, they're not all beaten down by expectation. The footballing wins. But, <laughs> so I don't want to keep saying that, even though it is a terrific, terrific quote. <laughs> that no, that's it. So um, I would suggest the problem is, is not, is not. Yeah. But part and, of the unless problem you can is say that, that they were, when they were 19 hugely vaunted and yeah. it, there was an excitement which then really didn't amount to anything he won the World Cup he's play, he scored he's the winning goal Champions didn't he final. he scored the winning so, goal in the final a bit hard pushed so, to say oh he's had a bit of an iffy well, right, whilst, I understand, whilst I understand the point you're making Rory I would suggest that we are talking about a cut off earlier in a career before it gets and to Hugh, even that stage that's fine you're in charge what about Eric Durm <laughs> Eric Durham was in the Germany squad in 2014. He played for Dortmund. He was described by Klopp as, as a, a sort of fantastic player, one of the most t- talented he's ever worked with. And then he went on loan to, loan to Huddersfield. He's now, I think, at Eintracht Frankfurt. Yes, that sounds right. Someone, one of the kind of mid-tier German club. Is that unfulfilled promise? Or is that just that he, he was extremely talented at 19-20 and it turned out that there wasn't any further growth mm-hmm. in him. So what he's gone on to have is a really good career. He's a professional footballer in a, in a Bundesliga team. He's playing top-flight football. He's not a failure by any stretch, but he, he has not gone on to be a world-beater. And in that, in that situation, is the problem not that, they're unfulfilled, that they themselves are unfulfilled promises, but that we have overly high expectations of what young promise means he's 27 now Eric Dermot yeah. he, he is playing for Eintracht yeah. Frankfurt but that, I th- I yes. at Steve when he said Eintracht I said Eintracht Frankfurt no I'm, t- I'm pointing at Steve because he's going to be next to speak Rory that is that is the uh, the hidden ways of how this podcast works you use that same finger to waft away the burnt smoke um, but that somebody like Eric Derm, who has n- now gone on to have a uh, fairly successful career do we consider their relevance to this conversation about the amount of hype compared to the fair success of his career, or do the, do the players that we are considering have to have basically mm. gone off a cliff? The, the difficulty with this conversation is how do you judge unfulfilled potential? Because in, in, the, in the case of Goetze, well, he has burned brightly, but for not as long as people might have expected, but you, you would have to say anyone who has scored the winning goal in a World Cup final has had a memorable career, even if it's at the very, very top level, has been shorter than we might have anticipated with him. And, you know, Eric Durham is, 
He's not playing often for Eintracht Frankfurt. He's not a first-team regular this season. But he's playing top-level football at the age of 27 still mm-hmm. and is will have a successful... That, that has to be deemed a successful career if you have made a healthy living out of it and, and will continue to do so potentially for the next two or three years. Another example of somebody who was very much hyped as a young player but has gone on to, even though he wasn't a world beater and didn't necessarily match that hype, he has had a successful career which has recently ended and that's Joe Cole. So Joe Cole was the golden boy of mm-hmm. English football because of the old story about uh, Alex Ferguson wanted him signing when he was 16 and um, Harry Redknapp said not on your Nelly or words to that effect and everybody was watching Joe Cole every moment every turn every twist every is he brilliant is he brilliant oh that wasn't quite as brilliant as I wanted him to be but you can't say that Joe Cole didn't have a successful career might not have matched the heights that uh, he would have wanted for himself and many thought that he would reach it's kind of like Jack Wilshire similar, Jack similar Wilshire. kind of situation so are, are there, I think if you have had a successful career I would put Jack Wilshire in a level below Joe Cole okay. I would say that he hasn't made the strides that even Joe Cole has made. I mm. think that there has been a significant amount of unfulfilled potential, but I also don't think that Jack Wilshire was hyped as much as Joe Cole was. Is it our own disappointment? Maybe it's look at this. Is, is our disappointment that the players didn't become the players that we yeah. felt they might become for one reason or another? And I, I, just, I just wonder whether it's our... It isn't the expectation... Maybe it is for some of these players. What percentage of these players actually felt beaten down by everyone saying you are going to be the next best thing. Is, is that always the case with the players we're talking about? I'm not sure that it is. I think there's a lot more that goes into this and it isn't just about the weight of expectation on their shoulders. Yeah, you, 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 can, you can invest an awful lot of energy, can't you, in, in a player believing they are going to be phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So that perhaps exacerbates how let down you are when that doesn't quite materialise. And also... It's, I guess to an extent it can also be embarrassing if you if your judgment has been proved to be incorrect because and, and you keep you might keep you know Joe Cole is a, is a player I guess as an example of kept getting hyped because there was always that that that, it, that always a glimmer of him fulfilling the potential but it never quite happened so ultimately yeah, every, pe- every time pe- he lost the ball every time he lost the ball in possession which is something that all players do all of the time every time he lost the ball it seemed to be that was being put in the context of what he should be. It was That's an unfair, completely unfair, unfair, unfair criticism, completely of course. Unfair yeah, yeah. I think the one player I, I would look at in all this is, is Ravel Morrison when he was at Manchester United. House Rights Ferguson talked about the talent they had and the undoubted talent. He probably still has. But again, he was. there's a lot of influences outside of the game that maybe impacted on what he was able to do on the pitch. And again, it, my disappointment would be seeing the player that he was at 18, 19 in a perfect world playing FIFA, the player he would have been at 26-27 would have been astonishing, but it didn't work out like that. So to me, it's more of a, a disappointment in these players. But again, the careers that they ha- had and how it all pans out, they might be happy. It's the people that they are. We've got to remember, it's human beings playing the game. I keep saying this. They're not, they're not footballers and then human beings. They're human beings. So again, everything that happens to them during their careers... It, it, it does clearly it's going to have a huge influence on them and they might well be happy with what they've achieved because they might think actually in many ways I've overachieved because the kind of person that you are I felt that about my own career I wasn't really built to be out playing in front of 40, 50,000 people that wasn't really me but it was something that I had the ability to do so you've got to find a way through and at the end of it I generally felt you know what I've done pretty well considering the person that I know that I am so again, maybe again, we, we think all these footballers, 18, 19, are all arrogant and full of themselves and have this incredible talent. 
and they're all they're all very very different people and i think that's what we need to understand and and, and again this it's a really unfair criticism to say ah it's such a shame your career didn't didn't go the way that it should have done because there, there's no perfect path for these players and we know from your experience uh, andrew that we should not ascribe to people levels of happiness or yeah, whether yeah. they feel that they have been a success or not mm. which is why we are taking that to one side to yeah. a certain degree and whilst there are lots of players who have been massively hyped and have gone on to have a career with which they may well be incredibly happy and, mm -hmm. and of which they may be incredibly proud but mm -hmm. we're trying to at least um, be a little bit more A. judgmental but, uh, but B. kind of neutral about I, that mm -hmm. kind I of aspect of I it. think with injury players who get injuries at at key times and when they're sort of 19, 20, 21 breaking into the first team. I think that is a much better case for th this player through no fault of their own yeah. has not developed as they should because as I say the part of the problem is assessing what talent not not just what talent looks like at 18, 19, 20 but what talent will become later on. So if you take Wayne Rooney unquestionably had a great career fulfilled his potential but you can make the case that Rooney didn't develop from the age of about 18, 19. He, he, was just, he, he was Wayne Rooney at 18, 19. So if you take that to a player who maybe has less talent than Wayne Rooney or less physical advantage than Wayne Rooney, mm -hmm. then it might be that 18, 19... There's loads of Youth Cup winning captains who haven't had careers in football, who've kind of won the Youth Cup with, you know, Man United or Liverpool or whoever, and then not gone on to be players. In that famed West Ham generation, there were, there were six of them who didn't turn out to be players. The, or certainly not at the top level. There were five who turned out to be brilliant, Ferdinand and Carrick and whoever, whoever else, but there, there were half a dozen who, just, who were good enough to play with them but didn't go on to be footballers. And I think it's a case of working out which talents at 18, 19, 20 will then be able to develop into the senior game, and that's, that's not easy. So I, I, I think what Chint said is absolutely right and very profound, that we shouldn't assume that there is a way a career should go. With injuries, it's maybe easier to say, right, at 21, that player got an injury and that mm -hmm. Goetzer mm -hmm. got an illness or whatever. That cost them their trajectory. It changed, it fundamentally altered the, their, traje tra their trajectory. With players who just kind of lose their way a little bit, who find, who find that there isn't a place for them, uh, it's, yes. it's, it's different. I think there are two, two, two different conversations to have. What, one is the reasons why mm. players do not fulfill their potential. And another is to draw attention to the amount of attention they were given when they were teenagers to the amount of attention they were eventually given or alternatively, to put it in a less um, kind of passive way, to say that they didn't necessarily maintain that mm. peak. And from a pure, purely kind of expectations point of view, that's, that's the conversation that, that I think we're having when we're trying to get a, a select 11 yeah. mm -hmm. to consider all the causes of course is, is, is it, an it, important part of it. So. It sounds awful because it sounds as though you're just saying these players weren't strong enough to be well, the they players. Failed they failed. Yeah. We're not actually saying that. We're just saying again that it's more than me the disappointment of the, what these players could have in a perfect world they could have become Where you would have this imagined player, they it, would it, have gone and how different yeah, that and is. It's understanding the why these things didn't happen. I mean, yeah. Attitude and application yeah. must mm -hmm. be big factors yeah. but they won't be the only ones but clearly there will be you know you mentioned West Ham youth team how, how many of those players didn't go on to have careers? Well, how much of that was down to the fact that just mentally they weren't able to make the transition required to take the talent they had into professionalism in terms of the dedication of approach to the game and avoiding distractions off the pitch mm. that were required? 
But then another factor could be physical development. You know, yeah. at, at 16, they could have been physically impo- imposing and able to get around a football pitch significantly better than their peers, but that they, they were overtaken by others and either weren't able to catch up or didn't have the desire mm. to catch up. And and it just can be natural as well. I, I, I work a lot with a, a guy who works in the youth setup at a championship club, mid-table championship club. So an awful lot of the players that they acquire have dropped mm. down from the elite level. But he also says, you know, we've had we, they have kids who have been in their youth system for years and years that by the time they get to their mid-teens, they just fade away. They they drop away, and they're actually replaced potentially by kids of the same age that weren't previously mm. on their radar that haven't dropped out of a, a Premier League academy have just been playing football elsewhere but have developed in such a way that they are now superior to those who have been involved in the system so it, it, it can it can happen it can be beyond beyond your control but then you know in the case of Ravel Morrison which I think is a really really good one mm-hmm. that does seem to be a good example of somebody who had all of the attributes and actually still does, does yeah but yeah. there are other things going on in his life that have prevented him fulfilling his potential. We have spoken before about the uh, the British and particularly English obsession with pace and youth and the combination uh, of the two and uh, assuming that because a player, when they are young, has pace, that they will be a brilliant player for the next 15 years. There are those who, I mean, Wayne Rooney never was the quickest, but obviously he was the quicker, he was quicker when mm. he was younger. Michael Owen was quicker when he was younger and you could make an argument that they their peak was in their late teens, very early 20s. And essentially, they managed to keep that peak going. But then from kind of 23, 24 onwards, Mm. there was a a, a gradual decline. Now, the the peak was very high, so they still had a very successful career thereafter. Mm. But you can genuinely say that quite a lot of young English players, and the reason why they are hyped and the reason we get excited about them is because when they are in their teens, they are at their quickest. And so therefore, Mm. they catch the eye. But that necessarily diminishes as time goes on. Mm. And so we are therefore left thinking that they've been a bit of a disappointment. Uh, Yeah, talk about pace. A couple of players. Tony Daly, who was at Aston Villa. Do you remember Franz Franz Carr? Played at, so I remember I played against, Forest, we had a yeah. League Cup tie when Stuart Pearce was playing for Forest. I was at City, I was maybe 18, 19, playing against Franz Carr. And it was kind of pitted as these kind of young players, a right winger against a left back, you know, who's going to win the, but they were both young. But he was blindingly quick, as was Tony Daly. But you're probably right, that ultimately in the end is only going to take you so far because teams can, David White at Manchester City as well, incredibly quick. But again, then you have to develop your game and you, you have to mature professionally and then say, well, I can't just keep... Because people will work out how to stop that. But those there are two players in particular, Tony Daly and Franz Carr, that never really... Didn't kick on quite as much. Didn't kick on been. because they, they probably weren't one-trick ponies because they, they were very good players, but their pace was what defined them. And maybe you get a little bit kind of duped into thinking, well, that's what it's always going to be about for me for 15 years. But it, it never is. You have to develop as a player in, in, in other areas. The, the, the great big hope or the next big hope thing isn't necessarily just a, a British problem. The, the, the player who uh, I think uh, represents this conversation is Freddie Adu, who was a teenager in the States. And, and this, obviously the USA national team are also looking for the kind of success uh, on the international stage that lots of other countries are and so Freddie Adu came through I think he played did he play as a 15 year old for the the Mm. senior men's team and he was genuinely trumpeted as the next best player in the world Mm. played in the States for a little while he tried a couple of loan moves I think Mm. to Europe never really made I think he played in Germany for a while Uh, never really made that played in Portugal he he 
pitched up in Finland and Sweden. He's had a really kind of peripatetic career. I do. I think he's still growing. Yeah. But I, it, but yeah. can you remember the hype? Can oh, you yeah. Remember the hype around they him. Did a Nike the, deal at thirteen. I yeah. Think. So this, the, the, these are the players who, because whether it's because of a, a national interest in wanting that player to develop, deliver international success for that country, or whether it's because. A, a deal that's made with the sportswear company or because somebody like Joe Cole like Sir Alex mm. Ferguson wanted him at a young age the, the, these players who are massively massively hyped in their mid to late teens and then their their, their professional mm. career does not match up to that hype and I think I think Freddie Adu is a, is a perfect example Was of it like that for you Roy when you were at school doing your colouring in and your crayoning did they did they think this guy is going to be a serious writer was no. there a great weight of expectation on your shoulders when you were doing your, your colouring in at five and six years old? No. 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 There wasn't any expectation at all on what you could I achieve. I anything at all that would suggest that I would have any sort of job. I'm surprised at that. I'm surprised <laughs> at that. Any sort of job. Not even a bin man. Uh, That's not running bin men down because I tell you what, how bin fit people. are bin men? Bin, yeah, bin they people. run constantly, Tiffity, don't they? Tricky job. Bin, so you bin couldn't man be a bin man. Could, so I, again, I, that's that's chin, yeah, that's raising I the bar too Absolutely, high. certainly could not be a bin man. You could I colour in bins. Should you there are to? certain people who are. This is nonsense. I'm moving away from it. <laughs> there is there are certain examples that I think are pretty clear. So Freddie Adu would, would be one that you'd throw in there. I think Jack Rodwell. Yeah. Would yes, probably be yeah. fair, but yeah. that of someone who had a decent career and then it just kind of all fell apart. That's fairly obvious. That, that was a lot of injuries. A lot of injuries, yeah, and poor choices. P- partly for Rodwell. Yeah. The 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 other relatively local to us in the sense that I think he owns a pub around the corner. Michael Johnson at Man City. Yeah. Yes, very obviously a an unfulfilled promise. I think strangely, there's quite a lot of midfielders. Josh McEachern. Although the thing with McEachern is you're never sure how much was a desire for there to be a talented player at the Chelsea Academy yeah. and how much was actual talent that McEachern's gone on to a perfectly... I mean, he's, he's had a decent career. I don't know if he's still at Brentford. He stuck a label on him. He's sort of knocking about. He's at QPR, at QPR. not Brentford. <laughs> the, um, they're same, hard to tell. They're, they are, they're interchangeable, those two clubs. Essentially, essentially the same club. But McEachern's had a decent career, but the, the way he was spoken about is not... Is not yeah. This is not where he should have been. The, I suspect we might find it harder to find defenders. I think attacking players probably come get the hype early on it's more noticeable isn't it because you're scoring goals creating goals and then it starts to change that's what you look at in black and white is well that's not happening anymore so for defenders it's not quite the same is it no because they aren't kind of analyzed as much as maybe attacking midfielders or strikers and and i suppose one one thing that can happen to you if you you know if if you are and as a youngster influencing games from an attacking point of view but you can later be refined to become a more defensive player because that's that happened to you Chinch you weren't you didn't start as a left back did you 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 know there was hopes that you might be a flying left winger and I was I didn't have a I've always said this I never had a trick I never had a trick so if you're going to play in midfield or be a winger he did okay that's very true yes but he could cross a ball like well I could cross a ball as long as it wasn't moving (laughs) that was my problem the ball started to roll whole world of trouble so how about this for an example because Someone I work with who is who who's, does quite a lot of scouting as well, for example, has decided Carl Walker-Peters at Tottenham mm. has not got it. He's right. not quite going to make it at the elite level. But uses the example of how Trent Alexander-Arnold, mm. a, a peer, in fact a little bit younger, who plays in a similar position, has more than over-delivered mm. on his promise already. So... Both at Premier League clubs, both at impressive clubs with a good reputation for developing players. So are they a good case in point of how there's almost the unquantifiables as to why one was able to to kick on Mm -hmm. and become a first-team regular 
and why one hasn't yet been able to do that and in the in this person's opinion won't be able to do that that they're just missing that certain something that little bit of a spark that convinces them that they they have what it takes to to be a, a top flight well you'd say player. it's it's 50% kind of capacity so what Trent Alexander, Trent Alexander Arnold has that makes him stand out is that delivery that Trent Alexander yeah. Arnold is a an, in, an intensely creative right back. I find watching Liverpool, I always find it slightly odd that teams, even now that he's kind of a sort of two-time Champions League finalist, one-time Champions League winner, England international, kind of senior player, established hmm. elite right back. Teams still seem to think right, Alexander Arnold is the weakness. Yeah. Let's target him. So, I, and I find it quite hard to work out whether he occasionally looks to be struggling defensively because he's there is some sort of weakness there or whether it's that he's getting bombarded because teams have decided, well, if we don't attack Liverpool anywhere, we have to attack them down Alexander-Arnold's right-hand side where Salah's not covering him. Now, it could be either. It could be that he is genuinely a weak, defensively weak or weaker than Robertson, or it could be that because there's more exposure on that side that he he's more likely to, to have that one lapse of concentration. That The number of times that the ball's in his area. Yeah, yeah. but the... What's, but what, where he is unquestionably, where he has come through and what he gives to that Liverpool team is his creativity. Carl Walker-Peters does not have that. He is a more kind of perfunctory right back. Mm. He is slightly more defensive. He doesn't have the, the same crossing ability, whatever it is. But the other thing, and the other 50%, is opportunity. That Alexander-Arnold, like all young players, like Marcus Rashford, came into Liverpool's team when, when, who, when Nathaniel Klein got injured. And that meant that he had the opportunity to play. Klopp trusted him. Pochettino gave Carl Walker-Peters a couple of goes, but he always had Trippier or Serge Aurier or, who, or whoever before that, Carl, the original Carl Walker, just Carl Walker, um, blocking his path. Yeah. And he's not ever had that situation, Carl Walker-Peters never had that situation where Trippier's been sold to Atletico Madrid and Serge Aurier is, is injured and Juan Foyth doesn't exist. And suddenly the manager's thought, Actually, do you know what? It's going to have to be you. That's basically what happened with Alexander Arnold. But he wouldn't have played. Yeah, but he wouldn't have played one foot at right back if it was felt that Walker Peters was, was capable of, of fulfilling that. Possibly, you know, yeah, give, yeah. giving consistency. But in also, that the, the problem is if you have Alexander Arnold as your benchmark, any player is going to look poor in comparison to him. So Walker Peters is clearly a very competent young player, but because he's not doing what Alexander Arnold's doing, it's quite well. You're not quite good enough. But yeah. he, he clearly is good enough to play. So then, something else that Trent has benefited from and maybe other players don't and Chelsea would potentially be an example of this and then further down the pecking order Watford as well continuity of structure we've mm. talked about how important that is in terms of recruitment in terms of you know having a, a workable plan and philosophy can help drive a club forward but surely that must also contribute to the emergence of young talent because if they if they know what they are preparing themselves for then surely it's easier to fulfil your potential than it is if you're at a club where they are constantly changing the figurehead, like mm. we talked about last week. So the philosophy keeps altering ever so slightly and, and you never quite know what the what player it is you're expected to become. So, yeah, if you talk about development, yeah. if you talk about Freddie Adu or Ravel Morris and Franny Jeff, if they're in the, the modern football club structure, would that give them a better chance of, of fulfilling their potential because there's that continuity there? Or, again, with Ravel Morrison, could the off-field problems... It could just happen anyway, regardless of the structure that he's playing in. So it still ultimately will go back down to the individual. But you're probably right, a better structure 
around the players that we're talking about, maybe we would have seen something different. Morrison was in, in an environment from which Rashford and Lingard have both materialised, yeah, so he yeah. wouldn't necessarily be able to use that as an excuse, although more latterly, United's path has become less clear. What Trent Alexander-Arnold and Raheem Sterling, in particular, as both young, hyped players have been able to benefit from is coaching and good coaching to help them develop. There's no, there's no kind of set age at which at which you reach your peak you can continue uh, improving um so there are those who have got the opportunity whether it's the structure or whether it's the environment or whether it's the coaching to get better and better and better so there are those at least who can build on early potential but you can understand that some who don't have that will reach a peak earlier through their natural talents that then is 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 laid to waste through a whole number of different reasons that we've talked about. But then about. you need the mental ability to be coached as well. Mm. And that then, again, we've talked about it before, boils down to intelligence. And that's why maybe Alexander-Arnold and Raheem Sterling have developed into the players that they are. Yes, it's been fabulous coaching, but having the ability to take that on board and then put it into practice. Maybe a lot of other players simply, no matter how hard you coach them, simply cannot put it into practice. Let's do some names. So bearing in mind that we're going to probably focus on attacking players and we'll try and uh, ask people to come up with some defensive names unless we can come up with some ourselves in the next couple of minutes. Uh, I want to bring to people's attention Mario Balotelli. Mm. Do we consider him to be hyped enough as a young player to have not fulfilled yeah. that potential? Yeah, with, with, with interesting reasons behind it because of, of his the, that whole issue over kind of Italy and him being black mm. and the, the lack of acceptance that he found in so much of Italy because so many people were bizarrely unfamiliar with the idea that you could be both black and Italian. Yes, and also uh, to use Mario Balotelli as an example of somebody who will get in our team because we are assessing him to have not fulfilled his potential, whilst with the massive caveat is that we understand a lot of these players will have reasons, some of them... Mm-hmm. flippant some of them serious mm-hmm. as to why they haven't necessarily also, fulfilled that potential and you can make a case that Balotelli's had a perfectly good career he's played for some massive clubs earned a lot of money played in played played for yeah. Italy like he's he's not he's not, Balotelli's not a failure but he's not what he there is a sense that he could have been more exactly like yeah. he's a bit like Joe Cole in yeah. that he has ticked along just below the level that we all believe he could have achieved mm-hmm. or believed at some point that he yeah. could have, I, I've got some, I was never that sold on Balotelli ever I, I remember having big arguments with, with, with Gab Marcotti about it that I, ju- I just didn't get it. Like, he's obviously talented, but I never understood. Remember, remember when Mancini said that he was um, he was going to be one of the top three players in the world? And I remember thinking, really? Like, this was, that would be like 2010, and you're thinking, right, Messi and Ronaldo. But even, even if you 20, watched him play once or twice, his work, the thing I tend to do is watch the work off the ball. Mm. And there was very little work off the ball. He tends to think, well, all the other players' jobs to get the ball for me. I can then do. That's not how the great, great players play the game. That, that was a tactic from Roberto Mancini to try and get somebody who he believed in to to, yeah, to, yeah. to maybe fulfil that potential. Plus, he was probably a victim of the fact that we wanted Balotelli to be brilliant because yeah, yeah. how fantastic would that yeah, have been? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Franny Jeffers. Yeah, Chinch mentioned. I think Jeffers is a good shout. There's a couple at Everton actually. That, that move, that move to, move to, to Arsenal, Arsenal. Did yeah. that? Did him. I don't know whether it did. So again, it'd be really, really great to speak to him and say, was that how you know that did that kind of bear down on you? I presume it it, it did. Yeah. Dominic Solanke. Too early to tell. But is that is that another facet of this conversation that they need to they need to be longer in the non-hyped period of their career than their I think hyped period. The one player I really want to see because he's injured at the moment, David Brooks, who went from Sheffield United to Bournemouth. I, I do feel he has enormous potential and talent, mm. but it sadly has been yeah. kind of sad. And that, I hope that doesn't kind of blight his career because it'd be really interesting to see how he develops. Federico Makeda? 
one of those yeah. who, who kind of burst through on a yeah. moment or at least two moments. They were back-to-back yeah. games yeah, that yeah. he scored. Although actually, uh, talking to Mercado, there's probably another name that's, that's an even better, exa- well, not a be- better example. Do you remember that they signed, United signed an Italian lad called Davide Petrucci? Yes, who yeah, was yeah, meant? Yeah. Who came from Roma? I think who was meant to be the, the gem of Roma's academy. Not even sure he's, he's playing. Uh, Danny Welbeck, I'd put in there, and that's a lot of injury reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, but another I, one who's no. had a had a career, but perhaps yeah. not the career that we thought he might. But have. I don't think yeah. Welbeck was ever meant to be anything Only because other than Welbeck a good and Makeda came through <clears throat> basically <throat> weeks apart into bit, that Manchester United team. A, a bit like you were saying with Balotelli, I was never quite convinced that Welbeck, Welbeck was the. What about was Daniel Sturridge? Is another player to come through and to not necessarily fulfil. And again, lots and lots of injury he's reasons. He's the same, the same, the same City youth team as Vladimir Weiss, who again was meant to be... He, he's had, a, again, a decent career. Yeah. So it can, we're really he, running these players down. He's still playing international he's, football. He is, absolutely. But again... He's not, get, he's not getting into you, the Slovakia. You saw how good he was in that team with Sturridge and Ben Mee, who again yeah. has had a, an incredible career, Ben Mee. So again, yeah, Vladimir Weiss was another one that you'd say had the potential to be incredible, but it's not quite gone that way. Sturridge is a funny... I think Sturridge, you probably eventually got... Got it a bit, lived up to it just about. It was, it was where at Liverpool. I think he, bear in mind, so? he was in that, in that team that finished second. In that finished second Sturridge, yeah. He had stories, I think, had one really good season, like two quite good seasons, and then two or three where he was injured all the time and it was frustrating. But I think if you think about kind of what we're talking about as a kid, Sturridge mm. was hailed as incredibly talented. Daniel Sturridge did show maybe too briefly, but he did show that. He was incredibly so he got talented. to that. He got, he got to the to top of the level. mountain. He didn't stay there right, so it didn't long. Stay, yeah. very lo- the, in, it was the longevity yeah. rather than the... Yeah. Is, is where he fell down. Yeah. Um, I would just, Yeah, Rodwell, Johnson, McEachern, I think, worth a shout. Yeah. Someone like Dad, yeah. Danny Cadamatri, which is injury yes. again. Yeah. Um, although I wonder whether he was a victim of the kind of pace is everything at youth level. Yeah, even, even playing with Danny Cadamatri at Everton, it was, his pace was what yeah. caused problems. I, I wouldn't say I would look at him and think of it, what a player. the same guy, yeah, yeah, like a Wayne Rooney say, this guy's going to be stellar. It, it never was quite like that. Where does Phil Jones fit in the conversation? Phil Jones is a really interesting mm. one because we're short of defenders so he'll probably have to go <laughs> so in. So he gets in. <laughs> have we got a goal? Have we got a goalkeeper? We did all? come up with a doctor, did didn't we? Did we come up with one? Didn't we say that it was... Oh, oh who did we say? Yes, oh, um, the understudy to Bruce Grobler at Liverpool in the 1980s. Well, but I think that's Tony Warner. I'm not sure that he, he mentioned was ever Richard, hyped like Richard that. Wright. Oh, Richard Wright. Richard Wright. Richard Wright. He played for played for England very early on in his career. When he was at Ipswich, he was the next big thing, yeah. and and never really, well, became a third goalkeeper at Manchester City for about the last 23 years of his life. Phil Jones's big problem was that he was compared to a player who <laughs> has always taken yeah. it's been like a mythical status yeah. because Duncan Edwards never got the opportunity no. to fulfil his potential and has gone on to have a. A, a sort of subconscious career mm. about how brilliant he might have been. Mm-hmm. So it was always impossible for Phil Jones to to live up to the expectation that he could meet, he, yeah, he could rise to the standard of a player who who never actually demonstrated he was capable of doing that himself. You feel bad for all those like next Maradonas in Argentina, and there's probably a few of those that you've maybe put on that would would qualify. Ariel Ortega played, I mean, played in the World Cup, brilliant player, but yeah. didn't live up to his to his promise. Um, Mate, I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even to bring Pablo Aymar into it. I love Pablo Aymar, <laughs> but the, the, there'll now be a tranche of like next Messi's. There'll be loads of kids who come through. Like, the next, this is the next Messi. This is the next Messi. That's bad enough to be compared to the greatest player that there ever could have been is impossible. Phil, I remember watching Phil Jones when he was 18 at Blackburn, and it was when United and Liverpool, I think, were both trying to sign him. I remember thinking, watching him and thinking, well, he looks like an okay central defender, but what on earth is the fuss about? But then I'm very conscious that I'm not a scout. So 
I assume that people they know know much more than me about these plays. It's why when you have these Twitter conversations with people and they're sort of saying, "Oh no, such and such and such and such," they're going to be there. But you think, well, what is your qualification? Like, how do you know? But if what, he was, are, you, if he was, what are you doing to to judge that? If he was playing like that at twenty six, you'd probably say, "No, we're not taking if him you, at all." If he was but playing, if he's playing like that at, at eighteen, well, that's it. So I it's wonder the age thing that that's Phil Jones, important. kind of like Rooney, matured to his peak very early. Yeah. And there was nowhere else Again, for him to go. That might be a physical thing, just yeah. a body shape, physical thing. Which well, possibly his understanding of football. <laughs> it might the, be too. Um, so if you, if you have any defenders, uh, particularly, uh, let us know. Or foreign ones. Or Yes, no, this is not just a, a British uh, exercise. Or some hipster selections. <laughs> yes. There's, someone, there's, there's a Real Madrid player in my head who, who fits the bill entirely, and I can't remember who it is. And it's annoying me. So... Tell me who that Real Madrid player is. <laughs> I think just a couple of players, maybe at the moment that we, we feel could be Jack Grealish is the one that I yep. again what he's capable of is extraordinary, and it'd be nice to see again watch these players and, and see where they are well, in five under or Steve six Bruce years. at Aston Villa. You've told us yeah. that it may well have been that he would have been one of the people who could have made our eleven, but thankfully because of the with, way with the Dean Smith and John Terry and all the well, actually I did a game at Aston Villa recently where Richard O'Kelly, who's part of the the, the the um, the coaching staff at Aston Villa and I did an interview talking about Jack Grealish watching him in the championship his development his maturity and I said he's been helped along the way by Steve Bruce and Dean Smith and John Terry I couldn't mention all the coaching staff clearly but Richard O'Kelly came into the interview room and said by the way you do know I'm part of the coaching staff and I've helped Jack Grealish develop <laughs> and I said yes I do Richard he said well why didn't you mention me I said well I'd say what should I throw the masseuse and the tea lady in there I, like, I can't mention everybody I'm going to mention the big names <laughs> so the hopes are high for Jack Grealish that Absolutely. he doesn't in the future get into this yeah. and, and players like Phil Foden as well you, yeah. you have yeah, to see yeah. you have to hope that they, they have been hyped and if you watch Phil Foden you get the sense that he's been hyped for the right reasons because he is genuinely talented but who knows because of injuries and opportunities and all those things structure whether they have the yeah, right coaching structure's the thing Absolutely. Let, let's see how they develop in in the structures they're under just one other tiny little thing that I wonder whether comes into this as well is because young players can earn so much money before they even really do get that chance to fulfil their potential they have an opportunity if they're, if they're clever to set themselves up for life and actually part of their success is in, in having been a, a great young footballer mm. they are financially secure so that is that in itself a success. A success. Yeah, yeah. And Neil Mellor would be an example of that from, from Liverpool, who, who, having spoken to his dad, ma- no? I don't, I'm not sure Mellor was ever meant to be anything other than a kind okay, of well, decent ish striker. Can, his, yeah. I remember his dad at the PFA saying he earned so much money as a youth team player at Liverpool that he didn't really need to go on and become a, a, a great professional because he'd already sorted himself out. Mellor, I would contest, but Anthony, Anthony Latayek who was the French, one of the two French kids signed by Houllier for Liverpool, who was meant to be the next Along great big thing. Cinema Pondrol had a decent career. Latayek got nowhere. So it is about taking care of your money. So Jack Grealish, Phil Foden, take out a pension, guys. At the age of 14, at least. Um, so, uh, at Seppi's Menu, seppismenu at gmail.com. Let's flesh out this 11. We'll have one together, hopefully, by the time we are next with you. It's now time for Nevermind Jack and Ori Water Soccer Stories. <laughs> Andy Hitchcliffe tells the tape, played death, all that behaviour in life, where the details removed. Although today, mm. it's slightly different. Because I'm going to read an article from the website toffeeweb.com about Andy Hinchcliffe, and you are going to tell me how much of it is true. Toffeeweb. Toffeeweb.com. Is this this mainstream media? Uh, Right, okay, go on, we'll give it a go then. 
This is, it starts by talking about the fact that Howard Kendall um, hated got me. rid of you twice. He, he hated me, yeah. Um, many, this, 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 we, we joined the ToffeeWeb.com article after you've just been sold by Manchester City. Are you going to do an a reach of voice or just your nope. own voice? Oh, okay. Many, and you, you tell me what, what, how much oh, of this right, is, okay. is right and you okay. feel accurately represents your career. Yeah, yeah. Many City porters were severely critical of the deal, which they saw as dispensing unnecessarily with a promising prospect. A defender with a rich flair for going forward who could double as a midfielder. Totally true. Andy started soundly with the Blues, taking the eye with his pace up and down the flank and striking mm-hmm. the ball with impressive crispness. <laughs> he was especially adept at crossing on the run, having a knack of bending a ball tantalisingly out of a keeper's reach and was capable of springing off side traps with probing passes. Yeah. Lee Child, where are you when we need you? But fitness problems disrupted his progress and thereafter he never seemed sure of his place as Howard Kendall experimented with back four permutations. That's the problem when you have a spondylolysis L5-S1 a fracture in your lower spine and also a symphysis pubis that has a mind of its own it's always going to catch you out at times the fans were mystified by his absence mm. perhaps the manager had reservations about his defensive qualities what? and as new players arrived in 1991 Andy's task in building a future at Goodison appeared to grow ever more formidable the following spring brought a brief resurgence in fortune as he compiled a sequence of creditable midfield performances. Then injury struck again, and the ill-fated <laughs> Mancunian was back on the sidelines. He eventually established himself as the first choice left-back in Joe Royal's briefly resurgent team of the mid-90s. Mm. Hinchcliffe played a key role in the relative successes relative successes key role of the 1994-95 and 1995-96 seasons his unfortunate collision with an advertising hoarding at Goodison Park in the game against Leeds on Dece- in December 1996 is seen as pivotal in the ultimate decline of the Everton team my injury was pivotal in a decline of a team well that's true but I didn't the injury didn't occur by colliding with the hoarding I crossed the ball over hyperextended my knee snapped my cruciate ligament then slid into the hoarding, which I think was an advertisement for ambulances. So that's kind of that's kind of apt, isn't it? Earlier, Hinchcliffe had achieved the ultimate recognition all players crave to be chosen to play for one's country. Solid performances for Glenn Hoddle's solid performances for Glenn Hoddle's England team. Lots of damning with faint praise here. God, I crave that England call-up. I used to weep in my bedroom at night saying. Please give me the call, England. Hoddle's England team in Georgia, Moldova, although it says Moldovia, Moldovia, <laughs> and at Wembley. So insignificant the country was, it's not even remembered correctly. <laughs> yes, that game still would have finished nil nil. Yeah. And at Wembley against Poland, confirmed the maturity and assurance he brought the left back wing back role, albeit in the absence of Graham Lasseau with a long term injury. It's just what I do, you know. Andy's contributions to the England team did not at first seem stellar. But the Italian or, sp- or later on, <laughs> but but the Italian spies had some complimentary words to say about him that proved fatefully true for Everton. Footballing spies or just footballing spies? Oh right, footballing spies. Since I'm not going to do the accent. Since he came into the team, he has been a revelation. Since he came into the team, <laughs> said Pietro Camignani. I've Italian- always liked I've always liked Pietro. He really knows what he's, he's talking the about. Italian number two. Yeah, I know the England press don't think a lot of this guy idiots he gives England more strength to their shape than they've had before he's not such an exquisite player mm. but he holds the side of the field and allows Beckham and Gascoigne to get into forward positions you go Pietro I mean that, that they were playing on a completely different side of the pitch <laughs> I was you? a facilitator I did an average job so other people could be brilliant his loss due to injury soon after those words were spoken coincided directly with Everton's decline from title yeah, dark did. horses to relegation battlers we must have been really dark we're mid-table Hinchcliffe missed the rest <laughs> of the 14. season 
<laughs> and made a slow recovery to eventually come back in September 1997. But the quality simply wasn't there. That it, slow recovery. I snapped my cruciate ligaments, had surgery, and was playing again within six months. His Gascoigne Shearer, a year. What are they playing at? His crosses and dead balls of note were few and far between. Oh, this is nonsense. The transfer rumours, which had started the day Kendall returned, eventually became fact at the end of January 1998, following a move to Tottenham that fell apart farcically as Spurs got cold feet about a possible Achilles heel well, And we told this story about Alan Sugar ringing me up and saying that the consultant said, my leg wasn't big enough. Howard Kendall finally sold Hinchcliffe again when Ron Atkinson bought him for Sheffield Wednesday. In March 2002, Andy Hinchcliffe was forced into retirement at the age of 33 after knee surgery failed to get back into shape after another injury. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, I think the Moldovia, <laughs> that really sums up the person that has written... I'd like to find out, if we could, who, who wrote that. But I think they wrote it rather it, it's not. It's, it's not that far off the mark. There's certain issues I'd like to take up, but generally, and the pivotal bit, I really did like... But the advertising hoarding, completely wrong. It is, I think, mm. given everything that is on the internet currently about you, I think that is the most thoughtfully written yeah. and comprehensive reflection mm. on your massive injury. But character. again, what I was, the expectation levels on, on myself at 18, maybe I was like Ravel Morrison and Franny Jeffers and uh, Freddie Adu, but I still managed in some way to produce a stellar career. Congratulations to Thanks. you once well again. You. Toffeeweb.com. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we only ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Rory, Stephen and Andy and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece many for you to enjoy very soon indeed. Do you think people can tell that we've done that last bit really quickly to Steve? Steve has to, has to catch a train. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to be although, late? Although Steve consistently making further, further, further yeah, points. I, I, I am culpable for quite a bit of it. We talked about fulfilment. Do you three feel that you've, you are in your lives where you felt you would be when you were 18? I am way beyond where I deserve to be. Okay, I, Steve? I'm consistently under-delivering. Are you? But but you're consistent with under-delivery, which oh, yeah, is... Yeah, that's, that's, you're all about consistency, about aren't you? Consistency Hugh, clearly, you must be very disappointed with how your life panned out. Yes, I was hoping by this stage... Apart from be, your wife. Uh, ...to be playing on Star Wars soundtracks, but it's not happening. Because so. your wife, I, I don't know how that has happened. How you've got that... And by that, I mean Gemma. <laughs> Extra, you're caught about punching above your weight. You're like a featherweight in with Mike Tyson. I don't know how this situation has come about. Is, is Gemma the, of sound mind? Is that so the, Gemma uh, is now Mike Tyson. I know. Yes, that, she the, is. She is the heavyweight. Gemma has a large <laughs> facial that's, tattoo. That's either. No, she's not the heavyweight in terms of her weight. She is a slender lady. She is lithe and supple. Maybe, but, maybe, maybe a beautiful girl like Gemma wants to be with me because I'm less capable of putting my foot in it like you have. But is she is she short-sighted or is she sound of mind? I love the fact that Chint is now asking whether Gemma is short-sighted or sound of mind, but mm. then they're somehow less offensive than the fact that he's compared her to Mike Tyson. No, no, she's in, in love anyway. in the in the in, in the love league. She is she is up there. She is Liverpool. Hugh is Crawley. So you know, okay, in the FA Cup, you might get a you know a one night stand, but this is not going to be a long term. They're not going to be in the same league for long. It's never going to happen. How how has it happened? So to be fair, you should be very happy with your lot in life, Gemma. Not so much.